Welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome and welcome to this hour of the program. It's Pat and Wes as we're underway on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts on a Monday, September 25th. That was a, uh, where we are now officially one game and ten goals into the preseason. I, I don't know, um, well I can actually, like I did the research a little earlier, I can tell you I've never been a part of a game where one team has scored 10 because I can I, I would remember a preseason game where 10 were scored the last time the Flames scored 10 goals in a regular season or playoff game was January of 1996 and the last time that they allowed 10 goals or more was in November of 1996 which both I'm quite confident both of those dates well before our time predates our time covering this team and on the beat. So I've never been a part of a 10-goal outburst for either team until Sunday night at a 10-0 drubbing of the poor Vancouver Canucks or whatever facsimile of the Vancouver Canucks that was. That was, um, I don't know what the hell we take from that game. I really don't. But I can now say I've been a part of a double-digit outburst for a team that I cover. Uh, yeah, I I was reminiscing this morning as we watched Morning Skate actually about the night that the Flames, because I was there, the night that the Flames scored nine in Columbus. Oh, I don't know if you remember that game. John Tortorella, the ninth one really hurt us. I, yeah, that was, really that was the famous Torts quote. Yeah, I, th- I thought, I think it might have been the eighth one. The eighth one? one? Okay. I think the eighth one really took the wind out of our sails. <laughs> And uh, and so we were actually. I'm glad you did the research because we were talking about it this morning at the morning skate. When would be the last time the Flames scored ten? And what a uh, <laughs> one of the players who didn't play last night actually asked me how bored I was last night, and I I didn't think that was the right word for it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> different kind of hockey game. Do we take much from it? Were there were there things that we can come away definitively and say, well, yes, this clearly means that because of, of this in a game like that? It's, it's tough for me to answer that question. Yes, I think you have to take that with a giant grain of salt. I don't think that it was all irrelevant either. I just don't know if we can um, be sitting here talking about, wow, now uh, now every offensive woe the Flames had from last year is solved, and uh, now they're going to be one of the highest-scoring teams in the NHL. I don't, I don't know if we can go to that extent, but I also don't think it was completely irrelevant what we saw either. Somewhere in between. Yeah, definitives, no. You know, did Matt Coronado make the Calgary Flames opening night roster last night with his hat trick? No, he did not. Is Jonathan Huberto a guy who frustrated Flames fans a year ago with his passing up of shooting opportunities going to lead the team in shots on net because he put two past the goalie last night? No, that's not a definitive, right? But I think in the case of those two players and a whole bunch of others, you can take a lot of individual positives. And and quite frankly, that's what at least the first 
five or six games of the preseason are all about. If yep. the Flames lost 4-1 last night or if they lose 4-1 tonight here in Calgary, we're going to be sitting here talking about, well, you know, this this guy was a positive. This guy was a bright light last night. This, You know, I liked what I saw from this guy. Maybe you learned something about how this guy looked in that situation. And, and so I think you take some positives away from seeing Matt Coronado's finish in an NHL game, even against whatever that was. competition, right? <laughs> I think you take something away from the confidence that Jonathan Huberdeau showed, not just the fact he scored two goals, but the way he showed them. I think you take something away from the engagement level of Nazem Kadri last night. I think you can go up and down the list of individual positives. I'm just not going to get too wound up in what the end result on the scoreboard was. So let's start with Coronado. Um, three goals, four points in the win. Obviously evaluating him on a, on a graded scale here, but uh, that, that had to be a big-time confidence booster for him because, you know, he had a, had a decent run in Penticton. I thought he played decently, played just fine in those three games at the Young Stars Classic, especially the second and the third game. But it was it was a night where here's his first NHL main camp, his fourth day in NHL main camp, and he goes out and scores three and is the number one star in a four-point effort. Like uh, From a straight-up confidence standpoint, for a guy who's trying to make an NHL team in his first NHL camp, there's nothing bad about what we saw last night. There's nothing that you can say was negative about have, him having a night like that. Well, we talk all the time about how if you're going to play in the National Hockey League, you need to be really good at one thing like if you're if you're gonna make an nhl roster you can't have a bunch of stuff that you're okay at you you really need a calling card if you're gonna be a good nhl player with matt coronado it's been his shot it's been his knack for finding scoring opportunities and converting on them and that's what we saw last night if matt coronado is gonna make this roster it's gonna be because he's a finisher yep well Last night, when he got the opportunities to put his team on the board, he capitalized on them. You know, I, I was talking to someone, one of the Flames staff, so all the Flames sort of scouting and development staff was in the press box last night. And at the second intermission, I was joking with Ray Edwards, the director of player development, oh, yeah, you've been telling me about Matt Coronado's shot, and I think I saw it on that second goal. And Ray said to me, well, I was actually more impressed with his first goal, the way he positioned himself me to too. get that deflection, yep. the way he pivoted and finished from in close. And and so, and then obviously just an, a, a big league, absolute big league shot to finish the hat trick. And so if you're a guy that that's going to be your calling card at the NHL level, especially when you're trying to crack a team that is starved for a right-handed scoring threat, a pretty good start. You know what I liked about that first goal was he kind of made it all happen because he started it by kind of he didn't win a battle but he engaged in a battle to buy some time in the left corner and and allowed Zeri to come in for some support and then after after that that allowed the puck to get kicked back to Hannafin allowed 
Coronado to go to the front of the net and get that tip, and then, as you mentioned, then pivot and score the goal. Like he he started it from there and started it in the corner with his work ethic and the details, and then finished it with the uh, what was that the two nothing goal or whatever it was. Like that that to me was what was so impressive is just the entire sequence that led up to it, and in a training camp where they're stressing how important these details are to see him score a goal because of the details is is pretty important well and for a lot of the reasons it's not going to be what you see on the highlight but I think Matt Coronado's most impressive sequence last night might have been his assist on Ben Jones's goal because this is a guy that you're gonna talk about and this part doesn't get solved against the competition he saw last night the question with Matt Coronado at his size and his age without that opportunity to have put a ton of muscle on his frame yet, the question is going to be how he handles himself against the bigger, stronger defenseman. Can he win those board battles? And last night on the sequence that resulted in Ben Jones's goal, he won that battle against Jack Rathbone, one of the better players in Vancouver's lineup last night. He won that board battle for 20 feet along the end boards before he set up Ben Jones. You know, Rathbone stuck with him. I'm not sure how invested anyone on the Canucks was at that point, but for Matt Coronado to stick with that puck in the offensive zone and ultimately set up one of his teammates yep. for a goal, I thought that sequence was as much of an eye-opener from an evaluation standpoint as the three put in the back of the net himself. Here is uh, Matt. This is from Sunday night. He uh, was typically humble and not uh, super comfortable talking about himself, but he tried anyway uh, when talking post game on Sunday night. Just trying to find open space when I don't have the puck, always moving without it. Um, I think there were a, a bunch of great plays by, by other guys that set up a bunch tonight. Um, so it's just always, for me, I'm always trying to move and, and get open in, in spots where I can shoot. Is it a conscious decision to make sure that yeah, I have a shot, I've got to use it, instead of deferring to others? I think you shoot when it's the right time to shoot. Um, like, I definitely look to make plays. Um, but today, just a couple a couple good opportunities. Is it a confidence boost for you? Like, does a game like that make you feel like, okay, yeah, I, I can do this a little bit? Um, yeah, like it, it feels good. Like obviously the, the team played great. Um, I thought like our our line had some success with with winning battles and getting on the forecheck. But I think just uh, the game was we played a good good game as a team overall. Let me share something from the locker room last night yeah. that that you don't see as this is unfolding. And you just heard there how humble Matt Coronado is, how uncomfortable he is with any sort of spotlight on himself. So, you know, the way it works is essentially the media has requested a handful or, or several players and they come out one by one and, and they do a scrum style interview. And so Jonathan Huberto was talking to the media and Matt Coronado was going to be up next. So he's come out of the sort of shower lounge area to wait for his media avail. And the last question for Jonathan Huberto is, well, what do you think of Matt Coronado's shot? And Matt Coronado was in the corner of the locker room and he sort of buried his nose in the corner like he was an elementary school student in timeout. He was so... <laughs> embarrassed that a guy who's played in multiple NHL all-star games was being asked to comment 
and more embarrassed that Huberto was just raving about what a great shot he had. Yeah. And I just thought that was such a neat insight into a guy whose talent level is at this point outpacing his comfort level with the spotlight and all that comes with it. And yeah. I don't say that in a critical way or a negative way. It was just a really funny moment to see this young guy thinking, oh my goodness, why are they asking Jonathan Huberto about me? It was it was a really neat capper on what had to have been a pretty special night, even if he wasn't willing to admit it. Well, and as this text comes in, and I think it's a really important text, it says, you know, I don't care what level of hockey it is. It did show that Matt Coronado's got a great shot in great hands, and he can score in this league. And I think what's important for me um, last night was that he did the things that the Flames want him to do. And and regardless, yeah, it's on a graded scale against whatever competition that was. But he led the team in shot attempts of six. All six of his attempts were deemed scoring chances from natural statric. And four of them were, uh, sorry, two of them were slot opportunities or of that high danger variety. So you're in and around the house area for all six of your attempts. Two of them are right from in between the circles. You score three times. And, and you also got three more attempts on top of that. He was putting pucks towards the net and he was getting himself in good opportunities and good spots to score that's positive and now the next test is he's going to play Monday night in the other half of the split squad game in Seattle against a much better roster now he's got to do that against other opposition now he's got to do that against you know the 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 Oilers and the Kraken and the Kings and the other good teams in the Pacific Division and he's got to do it against NHL competition on a nightly basis and even has to do it against better competition on a preseason basis before he can get that opportunity to do it in the NHL uh, when it comes to, to regular season games. But at the very least, his first game, those are the things the Flames want to see from him. Those are the strengths that he brings to the table. And I think it's important to remember, like, yeah, it, it was against rotten competition last night, but how many times have we seen this? Like we're, we're going to talk about Jacob Pelche later and I, I want to dive in more on Jacob, but I'll, I'll just use this little example first. Jacob Pelche would tell you as a highly touted young player, his last two training camps have not been very good nope. because he put a lot of pressure on himself, especially last year when people were saying that he was likely going to make the team he put so much pressure on himself to go out and take advantage of that opportunity. No different than the type of pressure that Matt Coronado's feeling, and he went out and scored a hat-trick last night, right? If we look at some of the better shooters that have come through Calgary in the time we've been covering the team, someone can correct me. Maybe I'm not remembering properly, but did we see Sean Monahan score a hat-trick in the preseason? Did we see some of these young players do that it didn't prove to be a problem that they didn't but i'm i'm just saying you don't see this all the time yep. so yes was vancouver's goaltending awful absolutely did jet Wu look like he was going to get reassigned to the hitman even though he's aged out of the whl yes he did noah Juleson, that is oh the my god there was difficult game i've seen a human play hockey ever but matt coronado had the opportunities and finished them and 
that is about all you could ask out of a 20-year-old in his first preseason game. Yep. It's just going to get tougher tonight in Seattle. He's going to see far better defense than he saw last night. But what a great springboard for the next two and a half weeks as he tries to take advantage of an opportunity to make this team. This text, a good segue. It's uh, Steinberg West along with you. This hour of Flames Talk underway on a Monday it says, in the regular season, you want results and positives are second. In preseason, you want positives and results are second. Yesterday's game was full of positives, so regardless of the result, which was also good, uh, you take the W and the positives and uh, move into the next game. And another one of those positives was the play of Jonathan Huberdeau. Um, and let's be honest the biggest positive of all of what happened last night, period, Coronado or anything else, is that Jonathan Huberto returned to that game because I'll be perfectly honest with you, I was talking to a couple Flames people about this today, I'm not alone, when he smacked the when he smacked his stick on the boards I saw it, I'm like, oh I, I was watching it, I'm like uh, Matt Irwin better tuck that leg and he did not, that was a dangerous, pretty reckless play by Matt Irwin, does not tuck his leg, goes full straight leg into Huberto, clips him kind of hot knee, high thigh, and Huberto, I, I was like, I did not like that hit, but Huberto wasn't writhing around, and then I'm like, oh no, he's getting, he's slow to get up here, and then he was ginger, and he smashed his stick yeah. on the boards, and usually when you see a guy smash his stick on the boards, you're like, oh, he knows he's hurt. It That was it for me, too, because... From the press box, you're trying to assess, hey, what you know, what what did he get? Is, is it a Charlie horse? Oh my goodness, was it his knee? You know, what what exactly did he hurt on the collision? But when you see a guy react that way, whether it's slamming his stick or throwing his helmet, or or you see some of those yeah. emotional reactions on the way down the tunnel, they usually know it's bad. And when I saw it, it wasn't it wasn't the most furious stick slam of all time but when i saw it on the way out i thought to myself geez that is not good yep and then he comes back five minutes later sits on the bench for a little bit uh goes for a spin in a commercial break he's just fine next shift he scores a goal so you're like okay yeah that's uh that's yeah he's probably a little ginger a little charlie horse type thing so he's probably a little ginger right now but uh he's fine he'll be okay so that is the biggest positive of all is that your franchise player didn't go out with a significant injury on a reckless play in the first game of the preseason on top of that he scored twice he looked energetic and dynamic all night and, and it was just a positive night for a guy who needs more positivity. And, yes, I understand uh, for the techs that have come in to cool down, it's the preseason. Yes, we're very well aware who they were playing last night, the quality of competition, what it means in the standings. There are no uh, illusions of or delusions of grandeur here. But for a guy who is trying to bounce back from a miserable season, for him to go out and have a really positive night – that was also a, a nice sign, too, because the more positive things you can have in late September and early October, there's nothing wrong with that. And maybe you can carry some of those positives into mid-October and November and beyond. Like the, all, all you're looking for right now is some things to say, yep, you know what, that was good. Now, we, now, now is that going to be something that we see more of going forward? Because for anyone who's listening who doesn't maybe buy that you can take those positives and move forward with them, it's the exact same with the negatives. If you go through 
an exhibition slate as a guy who prides himself on producing at the NHL level and you have no points or one point in the preseason, you carry some doubt into the regular season. I, and you can ask guys in the locker room and they'll tell you that. You try to block it out, but that momentum can work the other way for you. And so yeah. for Jonathan Huberto, a guy who has talked endlessly Maybe not his doing. He keeps getting asked about it. A guy who has talked endlessly about his rediscovered confidence and seeing a sports psychologist in Montreal to digest what happened last season and how to move forward from it. I think last night was a big step in the right direction. Does it mean anything? He said so last night after the game. No, it it really doesn't. But... That's just another boost in confidence for a guy who needed a couple of them. And he shot it. Uh, he shot it twice. Mm-hmm. That th- Those were his two shots on goal, the two goals. He had two additional attempts on top of that. And we know how big a storyline that was. In fact, he joked about it on, on Sunday night. Like, uh, I guess I can shoot it. Um, but he put pucks towards the net. And, and I, just, I, I think that's, a, again, it, it's... Game one of the preseason, but if we see him put more pucks towards the net and defer less to passing this year than what we saw last year, that also is a positive because uh, head coach, jump in, I'll, I'll play Ryan Huskin in just a second. He spoke about a Monday morning, but that, that that's a positive too, that you give a little bit of a different element to your offensive arsenal too. Yeah, absolutely. And go ahead and play the Ryan Huska clip, and then let's chat again after. He was uh, asked a little bit about, uh, and by the way, Huberto's not playing in either of the split squad games against Seattle, but uh, the head coach of the Flames was asked a little bit about Jonathan Huberto on Monday morning. I I think you always do when there's a chance for him to shoot. He he is a pass-first guy, and he would probably tell you that his whole life he's been told to shoot more, I'm guessing, is probably his reaction to that. but getting him to understand that there's a time and a place to pass and there's a time and a place to shoot, I think, is important. And the one that steps out in my head was um, last year in L.A. in overtime. Um, we want you to shoot in that situation. He's, it's just ingrained in him that he's a pass-first guy. And because of that, I think the guys that he plays with, a little bit of the onus has to go on them as well, that they always have to make sure they're ready because even in situations where you're not expecting a pass, you should be thinking this thing's coming because that's just the way he thinks and and processes the game. So um, when he has opportunity to shoot, we want him to shoot. There's no doubt about it because you see the type of shot that he does have. So it's just getting him to kind of find that balance where um, the right decision is to shoot and maybe the next time you can try to pass. So it's getting him to understand the balance. How much harder is he to defend, knowing his passing abilities, when he shows that willingness to shoot, how how much does that, do you think, keep opponents off? Uh, a lot. I mean, if you, I, I think it's sometimes, you look at certain players and a lot of D-men are smart. Chris Tanev's maybe the best defensive defenseman in the league or one of them. Uh, and he knows tendencies of certain players, so he'll always play pass against certain guys. And it makes him have to make a few different reads if he has a guy that he's also a shot threat. So then Chris has to think about where his body may go in those situations because he has to also prepare to block a shot instead of just a pass. So it, it does come into play, and it'll force defenders to force him a little bit differently. That was Ryan Huskett talking about Jonathan Huberdeau and, and about the advantages that Look, last year he did. He deferred too much. 
if that is something that we see less of this year and he doesn't pass up on some quality shooting opportunities the way that he did last year, and I honestly think that that comes as much with confidence and as much with feeling good about your game as anything else. Um, and I, I, that, that to me is the biggest thing is that that probably happens naturally if you're just feeling better about your overall game. But if that happens this year and we see less of the deferring to pass when everybody in the building seems to be yelling to do the other thing, that's probably good because it gives him uh, another dangerous element because I always compare uh, him a little bit to Alex Tange in that and, and, and not to the same extremes because Tange was one of the most accurate shooters in NHL history, but he never shot the puck. Right. And he shot the puck much less than Jonathan Huberdeau shoots it. But even still, you've got a guy that when they shoot it, uh, they're pretty dangerous with it. And so the more that you can have, uh, the more variety you can have in your offensive game, the better, I think. And, and so that's why I think it's so important that we see more of that. And that's why I think a lot of people were encouraged about that on Sunday night. Well, and let me use a, a very specific to the Flames example that really jumps out to me is, you know, Johnny Gaudreau loved to find that little postage stamp short side shelf, right? He he loved to try and squeeze that puck over a goalie's shoulder on the short side, and it didn't always work, but what it did for him so well was set up that cross crease pass because the goalie was so tight to his post in that moment that Johnny Gaudreau had a ton of success then dishing cross crease to a guy who had a ton of net to shoot. Yep. It's not just the goalies, but the defensemen also. And you heard me ask Ryan Huska about it. If Jonathan Huberto has shown that willingness to shoot, you have to defend him differently. And we know he can shoot. Those goals, like, there were some goals last night that would not have probably wound up in the back of the net against better defense and goaltending. But both of those shots would have gone in on a ton of NHL starters, right? Like, we're not talking about freebie goals. We're not talking about the netminder whiffing on it. Those were good shots by Jonathan Huberto. And if he uses that a little more often and we've had this conversation i remember times last year asking him about shooting more and he kept saying he was going to he's always a guy who's going to revert to pass first but if he is willing this season to fire it a little more often it's gonna make him that much more difficult to defend uh and and look the biggest thing that i've noticed about jonathan huberto so far is the fact that he just seems lighter. He seems more positive, more upbeat, so on and so forth. Like He just feels like a different guy, and we're all hoping that that's going to translate to a better sophomore season as a member of the Flames, but it definitely feels that way, does it not? He, he just feels more upbeat, more light, like he's carrying around way less weight on his shoulders. I, I think both he and... Mackenzie Weger would tell you that they underestimated how difficult it would be to adjust to a new team last year. And they took Mackenzie Weger months to sort of get settled. And I'm not sure Jonathan Huberto, because of how his season was going, ever did. And it only made it more difficult that that transition seemed so simple for Matthew Kachuk in Florida. And he knew that he was being measured against Matthew and his offensive numbers and eventually being a Hart Trophy candidate. So 
I never got the sense last season that Jonathan Huberto didn't embrace the pressure that comes with the Canadian market and be in the face of a franchise in a Canadian market. But I really wondered, coming back for a second season, how eager he would be to sort of take that on. And that's something that has really struck me. Like, he he wants to talk about his blossoming confidence or his rediscovered confidence. He yeah. wants to talk about being a leader. He wants to talk about being an impact guy. He wants it on his shoulders again. And that's a sign for me that a guy... Who, sorry, that's a sign of a guy who maybe isn't too worried who put last season behind him and, and he knows the importance to the Calgary Flames of him being an offensive difference maker and he really seems to relish it. Pat Wes, along with you this hour of Flames Talk well underway on a Monday. We're here at the Scotiabank Saddledome coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge. They're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Table time on this Monday to kick off the week. It's Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson, and here at the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge at the Dome, Derek Wills joins us as well as we're looking back on preseason game number one, a 10-rip Flames win over the Vancouver Canucks, which uh, preseason or not, you don't see 10-rip very often in the NHL. And guys, I know Sunday hard to evaluate in almost every way, but I wanted to start with this guy. Because in a 10 nothing win, I don't think you talk very much about the goaltenders. We talked earlier about Jonathan Huberto and a guy that is very much in need of a bounce back year. But so is Jacob Markstrom. And Jacob made 20 stops on 20 shots. Wilsey, you always use the term uh, a goalie looking quiet in his crease. I thought, again, against a, a bunch of American leaguers or less that the Canucks sent in a lot of ways. Uh, but he looked good. I just... Knowing how big a bounce back is going to be needed from him this year, I just thought it was really positive to see Markstrom get off to a good start even in the preseason. Now, have you guys talked about uh, taking the first preseason game with no, a grain of salt? No, I don't think we have. I don't think we've mentioned that one. <laughs> Never <before>. occurred to <laughs> us. No. I don't know. Please. Please, uh, uh, well, you should do that. Uh, I know that we're all doing that. But, uh, hey, it's a good first step. And uh, you do have to quantify it because – the Flames were playing, uh, I would say, more the Abbotsford Canucks than the Vancouver Canucks last night. That's just the honest truth. But all you can do is be at your best against uh, the other team. And that's what Jacob Markstrom and the rest of the Calgary Flames were last night in that preseason game. And it, it was uh, an interesting game for the goaltender because there wasn't a lot happening in the defensive zone for the first 15 minutes or so, yep. but then once the Flames took a 4 nothing lead, I thought they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit in the final five minutes or so of the first period, and I didn't love, even though they scored three more goals in the second period, I didn't love their second period. I thought they got a little sloppy at times, and he had to uh, stop a lot more shots from about the 15-minute mark of the first uh, through the end of the second period, so he had to be sharper, and he made a handful of, I wouldn't call them... Uh, 10 bell saves, but uh, pretty good saves, but he, he made it look easy, and I guess that's probably the most promising thing is at times last year I thought he made easy saves look hard and didn't look like that last night to me. 
I want to start by saying, and I'm surprised neither of you guys have mentioned this, that you should take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> it was just a preseason game last night. No, no Stanley Cups award. No, there were no Stanley Cups. He, he did everything he possibly could have accomplished last night. He made the saves that were there to make. I, I don't think Jacob Markstrom was tested a whole bunch of times. I, I didn't scribble down a, a whole bunch of highlight real saves, but you know, in, in a similar vein that we talk about what it could mean confidence-wise for Jonathan Huberto or even for Nazem Kadri to score the type of goal he did, the fact that Jacob Markstrom never reached behind him and fished a puck out of his own net is a good way to start the exhibition season. I have personally been even more impressed by what we've sort of seen and heard from Jacob Markstrom since he arrived at camp. Like this to me is a guy, you could ask him what he got for Christmas last year and he'd tell you he didn't want to talk about last year. And I just sensed that the way he finished last season and the way he went about his summer, he has just completely turned the page. Yep. And I really do think that that is the right mindset for him to be in as he tries to prove that he's closer to a Vesna Trophy finalist than he is to the lower-level NHL starter he proved to be last season. I just um, I think any time you can have positivity right now with this group, it's good. And any time that you can point to something and say, hey, that's that's positive compared to what happened last year. That's good. And so Jacob Markstrom had a had a pretty miserable season, all all things considered. And while the final quarter was much better, and and he finally started to show us a little bit more of of the Jacob Markstrom that we we believe he can be. You know, you want him to get off to a good start, and and part of getting off to a good start is having a positive preseason. And a positive preseason looks different for veterans than it does for guys fighting for spots. But it it's still he's upbeat and he's far more smiley, and he's got a seemingly better mindset than he did last year. And so for him to start training camp and start the preseason with a shared shutout and to just look very calm and quiet, I. I thought it was a, a nice, small but nice first step for number 25. Yeah, I said on the broadcast last night that uh, of all the players, I thought Chris Tanev physically needed the offseason more than any other guy and that Jacob Markstrom mentally needed the offseason more than any other guy. And he's come back and he's looked and even sounded refreshed. Mm-hmm. Last season, I thought he was pretty snarky. And this season, I would call him smarmy which is an upgrade. He seems to be a little bit looser. He's been joking around with us, and I think he feels better about himself now than he did for most of last season. It had to be incredibly difficult for him because he was coming off a career year where he threatened Mika Kiprasov's single-season shutout record, finished with, what, 10? Mm -hmm. Last year he had one. And he didn't get that shutout until fairly late in the season. So I know it's not officially a shutout. It was a shared shutout uh, with Oscar Dansk last night. But he stopped every single one of the 20 shots that he faced. And he made all of those saves look relatively easy. Uh, Truth be told, 
I knew we were going to have a Shane Holmes save of the game and a replay of that call at our post-game show last night, so I tried to make his best save sound a little bit better than it probably was. Which one did you pick? I don't even remember. So, because uh, it was that glove save, I believe, that he, uh, he kind of picked one out of the air. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And I think he probably tried to make that save look better than it actually was, which is fine, but uh, he's... Uh, playing a position where you have to have confidence and have to have swagger. And I think he missed those two uh, intangibles for a good chunk of last season. And it was a tough year for him, and it was a tough year for the team. And I remember late in the season when the Flames were pushing for a playoff spot and Daryl Sutter basically uh, said, "It's if you win, you're going to stay in. And he was bouncing back and forth between... Jacob Markstrom and Dan Vladar, and I didn't like the message that sent to either goaltender or to the team in front of them. And you know, Sutter, to his credit, did eventually settle on Markstrom and basically said, hey, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down with our number one guy. And I like that approach to the, the, the final part of the season. But for Markstrom, uh, physically refreshed, mentally refreshed, and uh, a good baby step, I would say, in the right direction. Yeah. These veteran players... The, the preseason isn't about wins and losses or goals and assists. It's about building up, getting ready for the regular season. Good first step last night. Yeah, and the only thing I'd add, and, and maybe I'm over-reading this, but the fact that Jacob Markstrom came out of that game after 40 minutes last night tells me that he accomplished what he set out to. That, that he was, was the plan, though, ahead of time. Right, yeah. but if, if that game was if, – if his workload was so light, he would have asked to stay in. Yeah, fair. And I just think that was another sign of a guy who thought, okay, good step in the right direction. Oscar can take it from here. Mm -hmm. Move on to the next one. Yep. Uh, Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg, Daily Flames Roundtable on this Monday edition of Flames Talk outside of Matt Coronado, who we spent a good chunk of the first part of this hour talking about. Any uh, any young players stand out for you in the 10 nothing win over Vancouver, guys? I liked his two line mates, but I'm going to go in a, a little bit different direction. Uh, it was fun last week to watch the Flames practice because on one of the lines we saw in three days of practice, they had their last three first-round picks, mm -hmm. including Connor Zeri. And Zeri scored a goal last night, and I wouldn't say that uh, he blew me away the same way that Matt Coronado did. Mm -hmm. Certainly didn't have three goals and an assist, and as you said earlier, Wes, and I said this on our Flamestock postgame show last night, I was as impressed with his assist as I was with any of his goals. Sure. Just him getting in there on the forecheck, winning a puck battle, showing off his high hockey IQ. He puts the puck in front, and Ben Jones puts it in. So uh, he was certainly the best young flame last night and took a, a big step in the right direction to securing a spot on this team to start the season. But Connor Zeri, I was anxious to see him because I thought he was one of their better young players in training camp in the preseason a year ago. Went back, took another step forward at the AHL level, and now he's back and trying to prove to the Flames that he can be more than just a top six guy, which is what he's been his entire career. They don't have an opening in their top six. But someone in the top nine is going to be playing on the right side of that first line. That's not going to be him. So the fact that he was centering what I would call the fourth line last night, I think that was a test in a sense. Can you be a, a bottom six? Can you be a fourth line player? The Flames' fourth line is going to look a lot different this season than it did last season. You don't have Trevor Lewis to center it anymore yeah. or Milan Lucic to play on the left side of it. 
I think you're going to see some youth. I think you're going to see guys who bring energy night in and night out. And I think Connor Zary is in the battle to potentially be one of those guys. If not to start the season, then at some point in time during the season. Certainly Adam Ruzicka getting the first look as, as a left winger sort of opens up a camp battle for a fourth-line center, yeah. right? You know, a lot of us yeah. thought, or I, I guess I won't speak for a lot of us, I thought we'd see Adam Ruzicka start as fourth-line center. And so that really opens things up. It, it's an opportunity for Connor Zari. It might be an opportunity for Dryden Hunt, although we saw him on the wing last night. Depending on what shakes out with the salary cap, maybe Kevin Rooney on his one-way deal gets another opportunity mm-hmm. to play at the NHL level. But... Yes, you're right. Connor Zary's challenge, and we heard Ryan Huska say it a couple days ago, is always going to be pace and how he keeps up. And I, I thought he did a lot of good things last night. The the goal is sort of a bonus. The I wrote down a couple other young guys that I, I thought we saw spurts from, and this is an addition, obviously, to Matt Coronado. I liked, I know that the Flames... Adam Klapka is such a gentle giant, and I know that the Flames are trying to get that six foot seven, two hundred and thirty pound winger to play with a little more, you know what, and vinegar in his game. And I thought he took a step in that direction last night. I thought he was really trying to show he'd be more engaged physically. He'd mix it up. You you saw him go after Matt Irwin after the hit on Huberto. So I, I thought there were some positives there from Klapka and. I always talk, or I feel like I'm always talking about Ilya Slovyev. I thought he had some moments again last mm-hmm. night where I I believe this guy is going to play bottom pairing minutes in the NHL at some point. I really do think the Flames have found something in Ilya Slovyev, and there were moments last night mm-hmm. that really made me feel that even stronger. I'll, uh, I, does does Ruzicka count as a young player in this conversation? Sure, because I like to have that conversation. You know, I, I found his night fascinating because early on I uh, rolled my eyes a couple times. The, there was one stretch where I think you had commented, Derek, on on the live play-by-play, like, geez, I mean, the, the, the Flames have been in the offensive zone for what feels like a, an hour because they just it kept up. It was like wave after wave. The Canucks could not get out, and then Ruzicka tried to thread a, a low percentage pass uh, over to Kadri and it was easily intercepted and that broke up the the ozone time and I rolled my eyes like Adam no, no, that's that, that like we know how high end and high ceiling this player can be but things like that kind of lazy and um, not hard plays can lazy and soft plays can really endear him in a bad way to the coaching staff and so I was like nope that is not and then in the back half of the of the game he made three plays that resulted in goals and that were tape to tape great passes that only somebody with a high-end offensive IQ and high-end offensive skill set could make and I thought to myself damn that's what makes people in the organization like Ruzicka so much so I came away generally impressed because he showed off some of the skills that he's capable of and, and showed off the abilities that make him a guy that the Flames look at and say, we don't want to give up on him. Uh, and there were also a couple of frustrating moments as well. But 
for good and bad, I guess, Ruzicka stood out for me on, on Sunday because I, I really am a big fan of his when he's on. I think he brings something that the Flames don't have a lot of. It's just some of the stuff that frustrates you, he really needs to maybe not eliminate but limit going forward here. Before I get to Ruzicka, if you're wondering what the racket in the background is, it's a member of the Kraken practicing his stick handling outside of the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems hot stove lounge. Just so people know what's going on behind us here. Cause Sounds like Ken yeah. Weeb putting. <laughs> wow, I hope Weaver's Ooh. listening. Maybe you'll call in and, and respond to that shot live. Not even a, not even a Sportsnet employee anymore. <laughs> uh, Adam Ruzicka. I mean, the tale of two seasons a year ago. A healthy scratch to start the year. Comes in and gets put on the left side of the top line with Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli, and then puts up 20 points in 25 games. And then his play falls off, and he gets dropped down the lineup and is completely invisible. Completely invisible. And I know it was probably uh, hard for him to take, going from the first line to the third line and then to the fourth line, but if you want to get back onto the first line, you've got to earn that opportunity, and quite frankly, guys, he didn't do it. And, and that's been the story with him throughout his hockey career, not just as a pro, even going back to junior. He looks great one night, and you don't even notice him the next night. He has to be more consistent. Physically, he's got all the tools to be uh, a top six, top nine power forward in this league. And those guys don't grow on trees, but he's he's got to play at a high level consistently. And he just hasn't done that at, at this stage of his career. And, Wes, I don't know if I can see him being a fourth-line player. I, I just don't know if he's got it in him. Some guys can be equally effective playing one role in the top six and a different role in the bottom six. Mm -hmm. I feel like he has to at least be top nine playing on one of the Flames' three scoring lines to be at his best. I, I just I don't see him as – and maybe I'm looking at the fourth line in a way that I shouldn't. Uh, maybe in an old-school way, because fourth lines have evolved. I asked Ryan Husko about that yesterday. So maybe instead of having a shutdown line or a, a line that's going to play seven, eight, nine, ten minutes, you're going to have more balance in, in ice time amongst the four lines moving forward. But uh, I just think he needs to be put in a position where he can put up points because it, it looks to me like when he's not getting rewarded offensively, guys, he just seems to lose a little interest. Well, and we started this hour, Pat and I, by talking about Matt Coronado. And one of the things I said was, you know, show us what your strength is. Yeah. You know, if if, if this is going to be your calling card as an NHL or we have to see it in preseason. And by that measure, with three really crafty plays in the offensive zone for assists, Adam Rizicka did that last night. And I think some of the frustrating moments we might have had, you know, I, I remember – a battle, a one-on-one -on -one battle that I thought he just totally pulled shoot on. Well, that's something that if yep. you're auditioning for a fourth-line role is really a problem. Maybe when you go put up three assists and there's a spot in the top nine, it's not such a problem. But I, I, I wish we could watch this game in Seattle tonight because I'd really like to see how Adam Rizicka follows up what we saw last night. But, you know, while there were moments where it was probably some of the stuff that got him in Daryl Sutter's doghouse to begin with. There were also moments where I could imagine Mark Savard walking into Ryan Huska's office this morning and saying, I need that guy on the power play. Look at the skill set yep. there. Yep. And so 
in that sense, I guess he put a pretty good foot forward. He did, but he's going to have to do it consistently, and he's going to have to do it against a higher level of competition. And for me, he he has to be way more assertive and consistent in his play. And unless you're a a point-of-game type of player who's regularly contributing with goals, assists, and points, I think a big part of being an everyday NHLer is what are you doing when you're not putting up the points? How are you helping the team win? So he's, I don't think, ever going to be a point-of-game player. So he has to be better when he's not scoring goals and producing points, doing other things to help the team win. Physically, he has the ability to do it. He just has to do it. Yep. Yep. Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg. That's your Daily Flames Roundtable on this Monday edition of Flames Talk as we start to wrap up this hour. Wes is on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson. Uh, We've got uh, Cam and Taylor as our producers making sure everything is good back downtown as well. And this hour has been coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge here at the Saddledome. What basement? They have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They are all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com.